Awesome. Sound good? All right. Hey, I, I, we, we got a couple of weeks left in hope, and today we're going to look at it big picture. So if you want to pull out that outline that you got when you came in, and as I was studying uh, for this series, I just kept finding myself in what is my really favorite book, which is First Peter. And you need to know that First Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, and it's written to a group of folks who are persecuted and spread out. They're going through some really difficult and challenging times. And I want us to look at a passage that we've looked at before, I think a few weeks ago. But we're going to look at it from a different perspective or in a different context, all right? That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Remember, Peter is saying this to a group of people who are suffering, who are lonely, who are being challenged, who are going through trials and temptations. And the reason I say that is because there are probably some of us here that are experiencing that same kind of thing. I mean, you may be suffering. You may have gotten bad news from the doctor. You may have a spouse that walked away from you. You may have some teenagers that are making bad decisions. You may be having a difficult time getting into college. I mean, I don't know what your situation is, but I think there are probably a lot of us that can identify to who Peter was writing to. So what he has to say will be a help to us. So let's look at chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, if someone asks about your, and what's this word? Hope, as a believer, always be ready to do what? Explain it. You remember reading that a few weeks ago? I like the way the New American Standard Bible says it. Look what it says. It says, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the, there it is, hope, but where is that hope? It's in you. Now, this is, this is mind-blowing, is that Peter writes to folks who are going through a difficult time, and he says to them, you need to be ready to share with others what people are going to see in you, which is hope. Now, here's what that word means. It's a Greek word, right? The New, oh, New Testament was written in Greek, and it means this, to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial, all right? To look forward in, and this is the key word right here, in confidence. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. With confidence of what's good and um, beneficial. So, in the midst of your suffering, you can know a couple of things according to 1 Peter. Here's the first one if you want to jot it down. Is that you can have hope. You can have hope. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your bad news, in the midst of your financial challenge, you can, uh, you can have hope. You can have confidence, right, looking forward uh, to that which is good and beneficial. Now, here's the second thing, is that your hope will have influence. Your hope in a difficult situation will have influence. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it said, be ready to have a defense or be ready to share what? When they ask. I mean, what a great way to share the faith that is in you. It's just to have hope. Doesn't that say something about the condition our world's in? Is that if you have hope, what does Peter say? People are going to ask you about it. They're going to say, why in the world do you have a confidence that in the future something's going, uh, is coming that is good and beneficial when you're struggling so much? The, so the two things we can know is that we can have hope no matter what the situation is. And secondly, is that that hope is going to have influence. People are going to ask about that hope. Now, we're going to stay in chapter 3. We're going to look at it in a lot of different ways to get some insight about how do you have that? How, how, how does this happen? Because I think most of us probably want it. I mean, most of us are either in a difficult time or we've been in a difficult time or we're going to be in a difficult I mean, how, we want to have hope. We want to have hope when the business is bad. I mean, we want to have hope. We want to have joy. We want to have peace when relationally we're hurting, when what we thought was going to happen is not what happens. So, so how does this all happen? Well, I like what Peter says in chapter 3, verse 10. And Peter is quoting a passage in the Old Testament, okay? Peter is teaching, and that's important because a lot of times we forget just how much the New Testament respected the Bible. And you see over and over again, we're in the New Testament, as the apostles were teaching, they quote the Old Testament. They believed it to be true and trustworthy. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 10. 
He says, for the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life, is anybody in at any of our campuses? Anybody want to enjoy life? Come on, can I hear you? Anybody want to enjoy life? Right? <laughs> they do here at Cooper City, okay? Anybody want to enjoy life and see many happy days? I mean, doesn't that sound good? It's right out of the Bible. Peter says, hey guys, I know you're going through a difficult time, but do you want to see happy days? Do you want to enjoy life? Now let's look at Psalm 34, the passage that he's quoting. Now it's going to, in, it's going to read just a little different because remember the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek. He says, let's go to Psalm 34. Yes, verse 12. He says, does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? And I love that the Bible forces you and I to answer the question. He's going to give us some answers. But before he gives us the answers, he's going to force us to really think, do we want that? Not do we just like, do you want a long and prosperous life? Now, to understand how this works, then we need to understand what was the situation in which David, King David, wrote Psalm 34. Because if Peter is going to quote it, then we need to know what was going on in the passage that Peter quoted. David wrote this after going through a difficult time. After going through some suffering, after going through a challenging time, King Saul David was the second king. Saul was the first king. And when the first king found out that David was going to be the next king, he didn't like it, so he actually tried to kill him. And so David is running from King Saul. And, you know, there's lots of stuff going on when he writes Psalm 34. Now, here's what David tried and figured out and then wrote Psalm 34, okay, if you want to read it all. The first thing he found out is that revenge doesn't work. There's a whole story found in the book of Samuel where David, when things go wrong, when, because sometimes our suffering is a result of other people, isn't it? You ever had somebody treat you wrong? You ever have somebody do something to you that they shouldn't have done? Maybe they let you go from your job simply because they were afraid that you would take their job? You ever had a friend stab you in the back? Well, David went through a situation where he was not, um, he was mistreated and his first response was to get revenge. Does that sound familiar? Right? You, you, to get even, I want to get back at him. Well, David learned, and you can read that whole story, but David learned that that doesn't work. Revenge will never bring the joy or the, the, the prosperity or the happy life that he desired. And therefore, that's why I write Psalm 34. He's like, I've already tried revenge, and revenge doesn't work. So do you want a long and prosperous life? And then he's going to go about sharing how we can do that. The second thing he tried when he went through this suffering time is, and I just put it like this, is self-sustaining. or and, I, and the reason I put that is as opposed to like self-sustainment, because I don't think that's a word and I don't know. But what I mean, all right, what I mean uh, is that he tried to do it within his own strength. In other words, David's like, I'm going through a difficult time, so I'm going to pull up my bootstraps. I'm going to will myself to make it through it. I'm going to will myself to do whatever I need to do to somehow get through this really challenging time. Um, I, I, can, I can do this. And sometimes I think we're like, kind of like, I could get through this if I just got the right job. If I just made a little more money. If I just got the raise. If, I, if that young lady or that young man would just say yes to my wonderful question, will you marry me? If, they, then I, if, if that would happen, then I could have a prosperous life, or I could have a happy day. David tried those and realized that they didn't work. Therefore, he wrote Psalm 34, which David quoted to a group of people who were going through difficulty. Therefore, they were tempted to do the same thing that you and I are tempted to do, get even or to will ourselves to get through it within our own strength and our own uh, ability. Now, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and we're going to begin to kind of put this whole thing together. This is in the English Standard Version. He says, But if your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense um, to anyone who, go to the next slide, ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So I want you to... It's not in your outline, I don't believe, but if you got your Bible, there's some really key words in this scripture that you need to, uh, you need to underline. The, the first, first one is the word hope, all right? 
You are asked the reason for your hope. Why do you have hope? Now, let's go back to the slide before it, and he's gonna te he tells us, and then we're going to investigate it. <clears throat> he says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And those are the three key words we're going to see over and over again. Christ, Lord, holy. Because Christ, Lord, holy, they all mean something. In other words, they, it, the, that passage says that the hope they have, they have because they honor uh, Christ as the Lord and he is holy, all right? Now, Christ, in other words, they have hope because they honor Christ. What is Christ? Christ is the one who put on skin and was born, died on a cross, and resurrected on the third day. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, they, it says that very thing. We have this great hope. Why? Because Jesus resurrected. The Christ, the word Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, the one that they were expecting to come. He came and he did what he said he would. He was born of a virgin. He died on a cross, taking our sin, and he resurrected. That's why we have hope. So those, and isn't it funny how the world attacks what? Those three things. They attack, first of all, whether or not Jesus was actually uh, divine, whether Jesus was God. That's the biggest issue that the Muslims have with the Bible you hold, is that they don't believe that Jesus ever claimed to be God. And so there is lots of attack. Why? Because that's one of the truths that give you and I, as a believer, hope. We that's why we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We talked about evidences for God. We talked about evidences for the Bible. We talked about evidences for the resurrection. Because those are the three things that get attacked. So he said, Christ. Then he says, Lord. Well, what is, uh, when he says, Lord, what is, what is Lord? Lord is the CEO. Lord is the master. Um, Lord is the king of our life, that's what he's talking about there, the ruler of our lives. We have hope, why? Because God is the ruler, he is the CEO or the master of our lives. And then thirdly, he says holy, which is a revelation of the character of Christ. So when you put those three together, they give us a sense of hope. That's what they say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Are you with me so far? They say, hey, you, you need to be ready to give a hope that you have because he is Christ the Lord and his character is holy. And then he goes about cultivating the ground in which that hope can truly develop, all right? So let's go and look at verse number 10. You can fill in the blank first so we don't. What do we do? I'm gonna give you three things to cultivate your confidence or your belief in uh, the Christ, the Lord, and um, as, as holy. The first thing that he tells us to do is to talk intentionally, all right? Talk intentionally. Look at what he says. He says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, and we all said, yeah, yeah. keep yeah. your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Now let's look at the passage he quoted, Psalm 34. Does anyone want to live a, a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. It says the very, uh, very, same, uh, very same thing. In James chapter 3, verse, verses 9 and 10, he gives a little insight in how to do this. He says, sometimes it, it being the tongue, it being your mouth, praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. And he says, James says, surely, brothers, that, that, this, this, should not, this should not happen. So where does what we say come from? Sometimes we hear, uh, even pastors, we'll hear them talk, and they'll say that our words actually will direct our lives. And that's not really what the Bible teaches. The, our words... Um, don't give the direction of our lives because our, it doesn't start with our words. What did Jesus say in Matthew? I, I, I think I wrote it down, Matthew 5.18. But the words you speak come from your heart. So our direction doesn't start with the mouth. Our words don't start in our mouth. Our words actually start in our heart. Therefore, our words are a revelation of our heart. 
the value of your words aren't just that your words will direct you. There is some truth to that because your words reveal your heart. But you can't speak words that your heart doesn't believe. Isn't that what James said? He says it seems that there's cursing and there's praising coming out of the same heart. He said that shouldn't be. And then he goes on and he gives examples. He says, you know, you don't get two different types of water out of the same spring. He says, so, so really two different words can't come out of the same heart. So what those words do is they actually reveal my heart. They're a revelation of my heart, what I really believe. That's why when somebody says something and they try to bring it back and say, oh, I didn't really mean that. Listen, no, you did. You meant it because it came from here. Now, you can take it back, and maybe you meant for me not to hear it, but... You know, uh, 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 a little bit earlier, Pastor Eridus came backstage and he told me, he said, hey, you need to turn your mic off. On, they said on the internet campus they can hear everything you're saying. All right? <clears throat> so too bad you're not watching online. Maybe I talked about you, okay? But whatever I said didn't come from my, uh, my mind. It, came, it comes from our heart. Our words reveal our, our heart. Have you ever said things like, oh, I'm so stupid? Right? I, I, I'll admit, this is a weak area for me. I'll, I'll say things like that. And, and I got to thinking about that. Why do I say that? What does that reveal about my heart? Oh, you're an idiot. You know? Well, it reveals that I'm losing faith in what God says about me. And I'm evaluating my life based upon what I see or what I'm doing rather than what God says. So, so what Peter's saying, he's saying, hey, you need to speak intentionally or maybe you could say you need to, to speak um, with a sense of, of hearing what you're saying because what you're saying is revealing uh, what you believe and what you believe will determine where you actually end, end up. Um, and so when I say those things, uh, it's because my heart really believes that I am what I'm doing, that I am um, what, I'm, what I'm seeing rather than what God says that I am. And then when, you know, people lie. How many of you have ever lied? Don't you hate a question like that? Right? It's, oh, my gosh, if I raise my hand, you know, is anybody else going to raise their hand, you know? Right? I mean, I, I'm just going to, I'll just answer for you. You have, Okay. <laughs> We, we, we've all lied. And there's different kinds of lies. Many of the lies we tell, we tell in order to make ourselves look better, right? I didn't do that because if somebody would do that, they'd be bad. But I didn't do it, so I'm not bad. And there are other kind of lies where we say we did something we didn't do, so we'll look good. You ever had somebody make an assumption about you that actually made you look better than you actually are? And doesn't everything inside of you want to say, yeah. Right? Or, or nothing. I'm just not going to say anything. And then, have you ever done that? And then they start asking questions and, and you're trying to come up with answers. And uh, it, it, why, why, why do we do that? Well, because it, when we do that, it reveals our heart. It reveals our insecurity about our value or our fear of rejection. In other words, I lie. Why? Because, well, I'm insecure about who I really am. And I'm afraid that if you know who I really am, then you'll do what? You'll reject who I really am. And so there is this temptation to lie, to lie to our spouse. Why do we, not, why do we lie to our spouse? Well, sometimes we're, because we're afraid that if they know the truth, then they're going to get angry. And they're, and they're going to push back, and they're going to reject. And we don't like the way that feels, and so we just tell. But it's revealing, again, it is revealing our heart. So how do we do what Peter said and keep our heart, um, our words or our tongue from speaking evil and our lips from these kind of lies? Well, you go back through, right? You go back through the three things he said, Christ, Lord, and holiness. When you look at Christ, the Bible says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world and you and I are a part of the world, that he did what? That he gave his one and only son. I need to see myself through what the word says about me. And what it says is that God loved me enough to put on skin, die on a cross, and resurrect on the third day. That it gives me security. That gives me confidence. And that reminds me. So if I want to have hope, okay, if I want to have hope, I can't just will my hope. I have to hear what my mouth is saying so I can deal with my heart. And the way that I get hope is what Peter said. I go back to Christ and I, um, 
spend time in his word and, and, and in what he's teaching uh, to know what he's saying about me. And then you think about not only Christ, but then you think about Lord. So you think about him as our ruler. Well, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says what? That he has plans for you and that the plans he has for you are good plans. There are plans for you to have hope and a future. There are plans for you to prosper. In other words, if he is my Lord, then I can be confident in what I'm speaking and what I'm feeling because God says that the plans he has for me are going to actually lead me to where he created me to go, or you might say success. So you got Christ, you got Lord, and then you got holy, the character of God. What is the character of God? Well, God's trustworthy. So you can trust what he says about you, no matter what you feel about you, no matter what anybody else says about you. If you and I truly want to have hope in a difficult situation, then we have to be intentional. We have to be reflective about our words. We have to keep them from evil. We have to keep them from lying. Which, and when, because when we do those things, we're in opposition to what God says about us. And there's no hope to be found in that. Because apart from God, you can do nothing. There is no hope. It is a sense of, of hopelessness. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 28, it says, you are God and your words are truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, you can trust what he says about you. You are his workmanship, he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. In Psalm 139, he says, you are masterfully, wonderfully made and created. Those words give you hope. So let your mouth be, a, uh, be the revelation. Let it uh, awaken you to what you really believe, not what you say you believe. All right? Um, there's this sense of action. Now, look at what the second thing he says we do. We need to be intentional about what we say because what we say reflects what we really believe about our world, about ourselves, about the Christ, about the Lord, and about his character. And then the second thing that he tells us to do, let me fill in your blank, and then we'll look at the scripture, is to pursue peace. Is to pursue peace. Now, peace doesn't come natural. Wouldn't you agree? Right? I mean, it's just not natural. And I'll show you at least what the scripture says in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, search for peace. And then you might circle this word, work, to maintain it. You don't have to work for something that comes naturally. Now, remember, these aren't Peter's own words. Peter actually got these words from uh, King David in Psalm 34. Look at what it says. Actually, the very same thing. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Search for peace and work to ma uh, maintain it. Now, the Bible talks a lot about peace I wrote just a few down in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, do all, and again, in other words, there's, you got to work at it. You got to put effort into it. Do all that you can to live in what? Peace with everyone. Matthew 5, 9, this is the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself says, God blesses those who what? Work for peace. So there's got to, it's got to be pursued. There has to be effort involved. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, work at living in peace with everyone. Now, again, when you look at Christ, when you look at the Lord and you look at uh, his character or his holiness, well, we know that Christ brings peace, doesn't he? Right? Why do I have hope? I have hope because Christ. And he says that I need to pursue peace. Well, where does peace come from? It comes from Christ. He brought peace. What, was Jesus, what did Jesus say was his role? Why did he come to planet Earth? To seek and to save those who were lost. What does the word lost mean? It means disconnected. Those without hope. Jesus came to reconcile you and me unto himself. And therefore, we can be reconciled to each other. So it's this, it's this uh, as Christ, he, he brings peace. Uh, he, he brings peace when he came. And of course, his, his character, he is, um, he is peace. Well, let's look at verses 8 and 9 to see how this, how this, this is what's so cool. We just read a few moments ago that he says we need to pursue peace. And you say, how do you do that? All you have to do is go, is go back two more verses. And he's going to kind of give us a definition for how you do that. Now, I want you to know. As we're walking through this, many people have no hope or have little hope because their hope is relying upon them, 
or it's relying upon their bank account, or it's relying upon good weather, or it's relying upon a good business, or it's relying upon the kids minding, or it's relying upon the feeling that their spouse loves them. And so hope is very fickle. Now they're going through this horrible time and Peter looks at him and he says, the world's not gonna understand the authentic hope you have. Not the fake. See, there are a lot of church folks who have fake hope. In other words, during worship services, they sing as they have hope, but then when you see them in the world, you see them in life, they seem miserable. Seem miserable. You say, well, what happened? Well, my car got a flat tire. I, I was late for work. I lost my job. All, and sometimes horrific things. But the great thing about being a Christ follower, the reason I get excited about what I get to do is because you can have hope in any situation. That's what Peter's talking about. See, when you and I have that, you say, well, Troy, nobody's ever asked me about my hope. Uh, I wonder why. Maybe because what you and I have is not authentic. In other words, they can see right through it. That, that your hope is something you express so that maybe God would be happy and give you what you really want as opposed to your hope being something that is in you, that is something that you truly um, that you truly possess or that you truly have. So he says, the first thing you have to do is be honest about your heart. Don't try to deny that what your mouth says is not who you really are. The anger that's expressed in your mouth is really what's going on in your heart. Let it be a revelation in the sense that all of a sudden you're awakened to what is real. Don't put it back. And then he says, so now what you have to do is you have to pursue peace. And he defines it for us. We don't have to argue or try to, well, what does that mean to pursue peace? Peter tells us, look at what he says. He says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Now, what does that mean, one mind? Does that mean we're supposed to be robots? I mean, it'd be awesome, right, if your kids were robots in the sense that they did whatever you wanted them to do. Or they made a movie about that, didn't they? What was that called? The Stepford Wives or something, right? But... The, the whole idea is that we're singing the same song, but we may all play different instruments and they may even be playing different notes, but it's the same song. And when you put it all together, it's a beautiful thing. And the world recognizes it. And they say, how in the world do you play that kind of music? Where in the world do you have that kind of peace that produces hope? So uh, we should be of one mind, sympathize with each other. In other words, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Again, that's not natural, is it? You don't naturally, somebody cuts you off in traffic, you don't naturally think, oh, let's see, what could really be going on in their life? All right? No, no. You put them in your shoes, don't you? They ought to know better than to do that to me. At least that's what I do, all right? I hate to get, I hate it. The only, I, this is, I got to hurry. The only, I, but I, I just hate this with a passion. I hate with a passion when there's a line to exit or a line to do anything and people zoom by you and then cut right in front of you. Hate it, just so you know, all right? So you know. I may not have peace, all right, about that. <clears throat> You have to sympathize with each other, put yourself in their shoes, love each other as brothers and sisters, uh, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. <clears throat> don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. And none of these are easy. That's why it says you got to work for peace. That's why it says you have to pursue peace. <clears throat> that is what God has called you to do. And he will then what? Grant you his, um, his blessing. So, um, again, it's this whole idea. When you think, if God then, what did that scripture say? We talked about Christ. He came to bring peace. We talked about his character. He is peace. But when you think about him as Lord, if we follow him as our Lord or as our ruler, he does what? He produces peace in us. Right? And have you, you've seen people. Some people have a sense of peace. Right? They just have a, I mean, it's not peace because of their circumstances. It's peace in spite of their circumstances. There's just a peace about them. It's not that their life is easier. It's that there's a peace. It's like Jesus. There was a storm raging in the sea. And where was Jesus? He was in the boat asleep. 
And the disciples come, they're like, hey, don't you see what's happening? And he's like, I see what's happening, but I know who I am. And that's what a real believer is. It's not that I don't see what's going on in the world. It's just that I know who lives in me, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. And he's everywhere at one time. And so I am not going to allow what the circumstances are to steal. Now, the only way I can do that is if he is my Lord. He is my ruler. All right. Now, you've heard this poem, but I want you to think about it in the context of peace. It's written by Christopher McDougall. All right. Do you guys have a slide with that on there? Yeah. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must outrun the fastest lion or... It will be killed. Every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve. It doesn't matter whether you're the lion or the gazelle. When the sun comes up in Africa, you'd better be running. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about this quote is I think that's the way we kind of live our lives. And as a result, there really is no peace. Right? Because the confidence that we have to either outrun the lion, okay, or if I'm the lion, to outrun the gazelle is within our own self. That's what David discovered and why he wrote what Peter quoted in Psalm 34. As he says, you've got to pursue peace. Because the natural instinct in you and me as human beings is to get up running is to get up with the belief that everything depends upon me. And as a result, then he is not Lord. And if he is not Lord, I'm not going to have a peace because I'm going to be running around just like everybody, every other lion in Africa. And so no one's going to ask me about the hope that I have because they're going to be able to see that the hope that I have is that I'm a good runner. The hope that I have is because I've got a big bank account. The hope that I have is because I'm smart. The hope that I have is because I've got a great spouse. The hope that I have is because my kids mind me. They're not going to ask about a, that kind of hope. So that, that, that's what Peter is talking about here. So we have to be aware of what we say because it reveals who we are or what's going on in our heart. And then we have to, be, uh, we have to pursue peace by making Christ our Lord, our Master, our CEO, trusting in Him to do these things that Peter says, be of one mind, love each other, don't retaliate, be humble. Okay? And then lastly is revere the Lord. Now, what does revere mean? Well, we're going to look at that in a moment. Do know this, that uh, fear is the antithesis of hope. You You can't have fear and hope in the same life. Fear drives out hope, right? When you're worried about what's going on in the world or you're worried about what the doctor has to say, it steals the hope that we have. So now go with me because I want to kind of put these together and finish up. Let's go back to what he said in 1 Peter 3.15. He's talking to people who are suffering. He says, but if you should suffer for what is right, you are what? I know that we said that about like we believe it, Right? Right? He says, you're what? Blessed. You're blessed. Now, what does that mean? That even if I suffer, I can somehow be blessed. And then he says, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. And then he goes on, but in your hearts revere Christ. Do not be fearful and do not be frightened. So what does it mean to revere? Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. Remember? Peter quoted David in Psalm 34. So just a few verses before uh, Peter started to quote him, it says this. And I think if Peter quoted, um, then he, he, he knew that this was here. Look what it says. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joys of those who take refuge in him. So the first thing, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Get to know God as your Christ. Get to know God as your Lord. Get to know the character of God. Who God is. In, uh, in, the, in other words, his character. What are the different attributes, I guess is a great word, of who God is. And then, this is interesting, fear the Lord. It says, taste and see how good God is. 
first, and then it says to fear the Lord, you, his godly people. For those who fear him will have all, all they need. And then he says even, and it's funny, it kind of goes with our quote, even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. They're not as fast as the gazelle. But those who trust in the Lord will what? Lack no good thing. Because see, here's the reality, is that when God is your ruler, it doesn't matter how fast the gazelle is, he's promised to feed you. So in that comes the peace that we, that we were talking about. Now, when, um, when Peter wrote, can we go back to uh, verse 14 of, of, of 1 Peter, or 15, I, I can't remember. It says, okay, remember what it says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not be, do not fear and do not be frightened. David is quoting there as well. This is not David's idea. David had read the scripture, which gave him hope in difficult situations. And he's quoting from Isaiah chapter eight, okay? I won't say he's quoting, he's paraphrasing from Isaiah chapter eight. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter eight. Almost the same words. Don't fear what they fear, don't fear what the world fears, and don't be terrified. It is the Lord of heavenly forces whom you should, be, uh, whom you should hold sacred, whom you should fear. Again, this is kind of right, freaky. Don't fear them, but fear God. Well, if I'm gonna pursue God, then does that mean that every day I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna be fearful? And whom uh, you should hold in awe. In the very next verse, verse 14, it says this. It says that um, he will be uh, a sanctuary, uh, a sanctuary for you. So um, when I think about that, and I, and I wrote this, uh, this question down, how can you fear God? And, and the word sanctuary means safe or protected. So Isaiah 8, I want to make sure you're with me. Isaiah 8 says, don't be afraid of what they're afraid of, but fear the Lord, because he will be a sanctuary. Well, it, which means he will be safety, he will be a refuge, he will be protection. So if, how, can, how does that go together? How, how can I be fearful of God and at the same time feel that God is a refuge or a sanctuary? Well, what he's saying is that we, the fear of God, it means that we are more fearful of displeasing God. This way I wrote it. Fear of displeasing God more than fearing what men feared. Remember what it said? It said, don't, don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Well, what were they afraid of? Well, they were afraid of threats. They were afraid of the attack. They were afraid of what men could do to them. And so God says, you need to fear me more than you fear what men um, can do to you. So if you look at uh, again, if we go back, and we're going to finish reading this in Psalm 34. <clears throat> he says, don't be afraid of the threats of men. You fear me. And somehow in all of this, we're supposed to have peace. And somehow in all of this, our, to revere means to have a sense of fear. It means to have a sense of awe towards God. And somehow that's supposed to give me a refuge. Somehow that's supposed to give me a sense of confidence or a sense of hope that we're talking about. So if we go back and look at Psalm 34, which is what Peter's quoting, it says, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. So we got, we got to understand a few things, okay? The first thing we have to understand is that the difference between me and someone who is not a Christ follower is hope, right? It, 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 when you suffer or when someone who doesn't know Christ suffers, the, the difference is the hope that we can have in our suffering. It says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. And he uses this word over and over again. He rescues them from all their troubles. Keep going. The Lord closes uh, close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This is all good news, right? But sometimes it doesn't seem to match with what you're experiencing in life. Right? It doesn't, sometimes you're crushed, but it doesn't seem like the Lord rescues you in the sense that he picks you up and he pulls you out of that. So he goes on, the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to his rescue each time. Well, to rescue here means a couple of things. This is what Peter is trying to get across when he's bringing to them Psalm 34. The first thing is that David, when he writes this, he means to rescue like Daniel in the lion's den. 
He was rescued. He didn't get eaten. He didn't, didn't get hurt. He didn't get scat, scratched. It's like the, the um, veggie tales, Shack, Rack, and Benny. They went in the fiery furnace. Nothing happened to them. There are times in life when you and I, God just rescues us. He pulls us out. But there's, there's another um, idea that he's trying to get across to us when it comes to being rescued. If you go back, I, I don't know if we have it, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are what? Blessed. So there are times when God rescues us from the illness. There are times when God rescues us from the disease. But I also believe that rescue also means that there are times when we suffer, but in our suffering we are blessed. What do you, what do you, what do you mean, Troy? What I mean is, is that God rescues us from a hopeless suffering. God rescues us from a purple, a purple, purple, uh, no purpose in our suffering, all right? Is that a purper, purper? I can't say that word, all right? There are times when God rescues us um, from that. Now, go with me. So I, I, I've gotten bad news from the doctor. I've lost my job. My finances are in difficult situation. So the circumstances around me are uh, uh, crushing, are suffering, are hurting. I'm experiencing what those that Peter was writing to is experiencing. And God says that he's going to rescue me. And there are times when God steps in and he gives you a new job. But there are also times when he doesn't give the new job. There are times when people die from cancer. There are times when the spouse doesn't return. There are times when things don't seem to get better within our circumstances. But even in that situation, we can have Hope, why? Because we know that God rescues us from there being no purpose, from there, there being no hope within that suffering. That's why he says that even if they do come at you, you can still be blessed. Why? Because as Christ followers, the difference between us and the rest of the world is that when we suffer, we do not suffer in vain because all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. See, he said, well, how in the world, Troy, I don't believe that. No, no, that the re that's why we lose our hope. Why do we not believe that? Because somewhere along the line, we have lost hope that Jesus is the one who came and put on skin, died on a cross, and death could not defeat him. If that's who Jesus is, then I can trust him in my suffering. It's like what Paul said, right? I, I got this thing in my side, and I don't understand it all, but what? I know Christ. And I know he has the power to remove or to do something in my life. So if he has not, then he's not just Christ, but he's also holy. I know the character of God, that he loved me so much that he went to the cross so that I could have eternal life. And so in the midst of my suffering, I still have a great amount of hope. Why? Because Jesus loves me more than anyone has ever loved me. And so there is confidence. There's a confidence in him. And then as Lord, I've tasted and I've seen. You, 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 can I tell you something I just tried, I don't know, a few months ago? Grits. I don't know if you've ever eaten grits. Now, I, I grew up in Arkansas, and, and grits to me look nasty. And, and it just, it's what my grandma ate, all right? I thought it had something to do with going to the bathroom regularly, okay? <laughs> so I just didn't want anything to do with grits. And I ate them the other day. And I gotta tell you, when I tasted them, woo! Whoa, grits are awesome. <laughs> this weekend, Steph and I, um, if you're at our Sunday services, we're actually caught an early flight to go to our Pensacola campus. And they have, they're close to Louisiana, so they have like grits and, and shrimp. It's awesome. I had touched it and I had seen it, but it wasn't until I consumed it that I changed my whole opinion about it. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to our relationship with Christ. There are some of us who look at Christ 
And we look at maybe the suffering in the world or we look at the suffering of those around us or, or we, 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 we see him and we might even touch him, might even attend church occasionally, may even read his Bible, may even believe that he exists, but you have never consumed him like Jesus said himself in John 6 when he said, if you're gonna be one of my disciples, you have to eat of my flesh and you have to drink of my blood. He wasn't talking some crazy weird thing. What he was saying is that you have to consume me, I in you, taste and see. And once you taste and see, who God is, it's better than grits. I, I, I mean, there is then a confidence, a confidence in the character of God so that in my suffering, I know that if God has entrusted me with what I'm going through, I have, uh, I have hope. I have a confidence that in the future, for good, I have confidence in the future that, that God's bringing, and whether that future is tomorrow and he brings me a new job, or whether that future is in eternity, I have tasted and I have seen that he is trustworthy. And so there is a, a, a blessing. You know, it makes me think about, uh, when I think about the holiness of God, I think about a few years ago, I don't know, it's been three or four years ago, Steph and I were following a car and they, they did that. They were zooming past people and, and at the last moment they cut in front and, uh, and lost control. They were cutting in front to exit, they lost control. And when they did, they started, you know, they spun out in the road and, and, and the, the, the car right in front of us launched into the air, turned, turned flips, like two flips over and landed and, and the, a big diesel truck got sideways and stuff's all over the highway and, and Steph and I are the first ones there. And so I jump out of my car and, and I run up there to the car that's, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to see these folks dead. I mean, it's just their car was crushed and they come to find out that they, they, were, they actually got out of the car. It, it was amazing. I mean, that was miraculous. But the lady who had caused it all was kind of off the highway over there. And she was broken. Uh, come to find out, she was on her way to a job interview. She had lost her job. She had a few kids. She was running late. She in no way intended to hurt anybody. And now that's all at her feet. And so I, I walked over there, you know, I'm um, Jesus follower, I'm supposed to do something. And, and I just remember walking over there and as I walked up, she looked at me and she said, you're him. And you know, with tears in her eyes, I was like, well, I don't know if I am. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she, you know, I, and so, you know how when somebody's all red and her neck's red and, and she opened up her wallet and there was a, one of those invite cards in her wallet. Um, and and uh, somebody had invited her, and she had come once. And, and, and I just thought, when I think about the character of God, that in all that was going on in that day, that God cared enough to bring Steph and myself along that way just to remind her that he hadn't left her. That even in her bad decision and in all the other stresses that she was experiencing in her life, that he hadn't forgotten her and that he still cared for her. In 2006, I went to up here to Memorial. For those of you at one of our other campuses, I went up to Memorial and I just getting my heart checked. I didn't feel right. And they found blockage in my heart. So they put me in an ambulance. And I've never been in an ambulance before. It's not really, I thought it'd be a better ride. Um, and, and we zoomed to, I think, regional, I, I, or I don't know, one of the, the big hospital, whatever the major memorial hospital is. So they take, they take me there and, you know, they're doing all the stuff they do, which is kind of, you know, if you've never been like through that, it's freaky. Um, and then they take me back and they're going to do the, put the stents in and all that, which, you know, today they, they, they do quite often. But Steph and I have never been through that. It's scary. Scary for me, but I'm there. <laughs> She's not, right? Doc, you know, doctors don't let you in when you're husband. I remember they took me back, and after I came out of um, all the procedure, Pastor, um, Pastor Frank told me that while I was having all that done, that uh, Steph was in the waiting room, 
and that she was sharing with another lady whose husband was going through something um, life-threatening and, and giving her a sense of hope. And, you know, I, I, I wrote down in my notes here that that's what Peter's talking about. The hope that Stephanie had in that waiting room wasn't based on something she had experienced. In other words, I was in the operating room. Her hope wasn't that she knew the outcome of the surgery. Her hope was in that she knew the Christ, the Holy Lord. Her knowing him gave her a hope in that moment that was able then to minister to somebody else. That's the kind of hope that Peter is talking about. And that's the kind of hope that it is my prayer you will experience no matter what campus you're at or what chair that you're sitting in, you can have hope so that when others see you, they ask, how in the world, how in the world do you authentically have hope? Would you bow your head? Father, I pray for those who are hurting and those who are suffering. I pray they have been encouraged no matter what campus they're at, no matter what they're going through, no matter what difficulty they're facing. I pray that you would bless them. And I pray that the world would look at us and they would see hope. Hope. A hope that the enemy can't take. A hope that the world cannot rob. A hope that is steadfast and long-suffering. And we, as your word says, all have that glorious hope that one day, like you said in John, we will be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've got a hand. Awesome. So glad that you're here today, whatever campus you're at, whatever um, uh, service you're at. Steph and I, on Sunday morning, got up early and went to our Pensacola campus. So uh, it's cool. We live in a day of technology that I'm here, but I'm not here. I mean, I'm here to the ones I'm speaking to, but I'm not here to the ones I'm not speaking to. It's cool. We live in a really cool day, and we're glad you're a part of Potential Church. I'm going to ask our ushers to come, and uh, we're going to have an opportunity to give. <clears throat> And I invite you to give in hope, to give with hope, right? Remember what, remember what we talked about? You either look at your bank account, you look at your situation, you look at what you see, and you give out of that. You're like the lion, You're, you know, it's how fast you can run, or you have hope. And what God says about your finances and his desire to take care of you. Just remember, when you, when you take ownership, like David did, you are the owner. Even though you can't control what happens in the world, you are now the owner of your finances. And you will sink or swim depending upon your ability, as well as whether or not you enjoy um, what you have. So be generous. Test him, he says, so that we can do like we did this Saturday as well and make a difference in this world in a big way. Steph and I love you guys, and we are honored to be um, pastors here at Potential Church. Father, I pray you bless our giving. I pray we be a generous church. I pray for everyone here that is struggling in the area of hope, especially in the area of their finances. May we know that we can have hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give together.